Hi, and welcome back to Cracked with Siobhan Aris. I'd like to thank Bullseye Glass for making today's episode possible. Did you know Bullseye has open studio sessions at all five of the Resource Center locations? If you've completed at least one class at Bullseye, you're invited to attend their open studio sessions. Bring your Bullseye Glass or piece made at Bullseye Glass to be cold worked to a resource center studio and enjoy access to tools, kilns, and non-glass supplies. You can download the open studio guide at bullseyeglass.com for more details, information about fees, and rules. I'd also like to thank the Stained Glass Association of America, or the SGAA. The SGAA is the steward of one of the oldest continuously published journals in the country, the Stained Glass Quarterly, or SGQ. Members of the SGAA enjoy a subscription to the award-winning SGQ as well as exclusive access to their historic archives dating back to 1906. Think about it this way. There are hundreds of incredible and noteworthy glass installations and artists around the world that you would never know about or get to see in your lifetime. The SGQ changes that. Like magic, it delivers to your door that inspirational work, otherwise inaccessible. It's like your own personal traveling museum. Find out more at stainedglass.org. And lastly, I'd love to thank Canfield Technologies. When you start with quality, impurity-free materials, you end up with a smoother flowing alloy providing consistent, reliable results. Learn more at canfieldmetals.com. Today, on the 46th episode of Cracked, I'm joined by artist Erin from Erin Glassworks. Her work is inspired by nature with a focus on her local Florida wildlife. When she's not translating the natural world into a glass design, she's educating other artists and small business owners through her social media. Today, Erin and I are going through how she's running things down there in Largo, Florida, exactly how and where she's making her profit, the art of Patreon, ways she's minimizing her impact on the environment through her packaging, and how she's found at least in my opinion, the most organic and thoughtful way to create an online stained glass community. Let's get into it. Join me as I crack it all wide open. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm so excited that you asked me to be on your show. I know. I'm so excited you said yes. (laughs) Anyone said no to you? Yes. Seriously? Yeah, but not because... Not because they weren't like, gr- like grateful that I asked them, but more because like they were shy or they just felt um, like it wasn't their thing or yeah. they just, you know, they were like, yeah, they just didn't feel like they were the best fit for it. But everybody's been very like kind and gracious. Nobody has yeah. been like, no. <laughs> I, I can totally respect being shy or uncomfortable. I guess I wasn't considering that. I was more just like, what an honor to be asked. Who would say no? Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. Uh, So you're in Largo, Florida. That's correct. And you're actually at your parents' house right now, right? (laughs) I am. That is uh, one of the challenges of living in a one-bedroom condo and having a partner who keeps saltwater aquariums as their main hobby. Um, It just means that there's (laughs) there's no recording space available in my home. I'm either on my studio porch, which has like loud traffic background sounds, or I'm inside, which has loud aquarium sounds. (laughs) So fortunately, I was able to find a quiet space not too far away. I think it's always so interesting to like get a bigger perspective from people about what their studio space is. Because if in my mind, I've never pictured it as that, like that it's so give me give me like a like a tour. So Mm -hmm. it's like outside and you're in a condo. Are you up high? Are you down low? I am on the third floor. So 
the rest of my building is the rest of my, it's a one bedroom condo. And I've had people ask me like, could I, I'm in town. Could I stop by for a studio tour? Like, I'd love to see your workspace. And I always have to say no, because it's in my very small one bedroom condo. That's just like not conducive to inviting other people in to see my, my workspace looks like, because it's all up in my personal business. There really isn't uh, too much extra space there. So you walk into my home, you go through the living room, through the saltwater aquariums, past the large enclosure with snakes, through the kitchen. And then I have a little, it's called a Florida room, but it's just an enclosed porch essentially. So I'm on the third floor and it's like a long, narrow, it's like five by 14 maybe. So I have a like nice long workbench that I get to lay out all of my different steps, which I really enjoy, but I'm very limited on space. Just which I, I know so many of us have that same challenge, but that's yeah. always a limiting factor is more space. And I do have a storage unit just for glass. Oh, wow. Yes. Is it full? It is slap full. I have more glass than my local glass store has. <laughs> is it organized? I did a decent job of organizing it. I bought out um, on three different occasions either a studio that was closing or two, and then two one artist that was retiring and then one um the artist had passed away and her son was selling her glass collection so I have a lot of like fun stories that comes with my glass so none of it was labeled none of it came organized the best that I could do was arrange it by color so I have my shelves arranged in rainbow order and then like each slot has you know, opaque reds, translucent reds, opaque orange, translucent orange. And that was kind of the best that I could do. But I oftentimes don't know what I'm working with or if I can get more. So that's always like a fun added challenge there. Like, yeah. what, is what a mystery. Yeah, yeah, totally. Um, okay, so I'm going to read a little bit here from your bio. It says, I learned how to do stained glass in high school and fell in love with the medium. I think we can all we're all nodding our head right now. We can all relate. Yeah. It was something I knew I wanted to do, but without a studio space of my own, I couldn't continue to work. Despite this, I went out and purchased a box of small sample glass squares, and I left it in my parents' garage as a reminder and a symbol of what I knew I wanted to be able to do. Late in 2019, the sample box served its purpose, and I invested in second-hand tools and set up a small workspace. I relearned the craft on the snake design that went on to inspire my logo. February of 2020, I started airing Glassworks, and it began to blossom as I found my creative voice. As of summer 2021, I am doing stained glass art full time. Well, congratulations on making that transition. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that. And what were you doing professionally before you did make the full transition? I actually managed a commercial fish house for eight years. Um, so I know a lot of people don't really understand what that means, but we had a fleet of boats that would go out, catch fish, come in. And it was my job to get thousands of pounds of fish off the boat, packed into orders and sent out across the country. Um, so you can imagine that's a very male dominated industry. So people kind of look at me a little bit funny, especially when it was, you know, 22 year old Aaron, 23 year old Aaron, like, yeah, this is what I'm doing. Um, so it was a very physically demanding job, um, as well as just like constant, like fires to put out all over the place. I, I loved it and I did not plan on leaving. Um, unfortunately, I got hurt on the job, which left uh, 
which I ended up leaving as a result of it. So I didn't plan on going into stained glass work full time. Um, it was just kind of like I got hurt. I couldn't keep working. I didn't know what to do. I had been doing stained glass on the side for fun slash selling it to pay for continuing to be able to do stained glass, which I think is how a lot of us get started selling since it is just such an expensive craft. And I just felt really fortunate that I was able to take a breath and rely on glasswork for a little bit while I tried to figure out what it was I wanted to do next. Um, and a couple months into it being my main source of income, I was like, maybe I could give this a shot. Like maybe this, this is something that I could do. So I was like, I'm going to give myself, I sat down and evaluated like what I could afford. And I was like, I'm going to give myself a year to see if this is something that I can do full time. And I'm coming up on two years now, which is very exciting. That is, a, that is so exciting. And, you know, I just had an interview yesterday with uh, Costa from Caustic Glassworks. Mm -hmm. And she was saying that, um, you know, before she decided to like kind of jump into it, there was a couple stained glass artists that she saw online that were doing it. And it kind of gave her like confidence that like it can be done and you can actually make a go at it and make enough money doing it. Was that, did you have a similar experience? Cause it was, you know, if it was, we're talking about like 2019 to 2021, like there was already sort of a, an online community being built. Mm-hmm. And this is actually really funny for me. Um, so like I said, like you read in my bio, uh, I went out and bought my little box of sample glass and was like, I'm going to be able to do this again one day. I can't, I can't now. I don't have the money. I don't have the space, but one day I will be able to do this. And then I spent the next six years or so I was working full time at the commercial fish house. And I was also going to school full time, getting a bachelor's in biology, um, and then for a little bit, I had a second job just kind of for fun. And then I also bought my condo and was remodeling that. So I just spent like a good five years of just having every single part of my day planned out to the max and having no time for anything fun, personal, creative, et cetera. And I got to this point where I was honestly quite depressed. And I was like, I need to do something else. I don't know what it is. And I, I hadn't done anything creative in so long. And I, I think I pulled out some embroidery and I just did a little, I was like, I don't feel creative, but I can make a triangle. And I sat there and I cross-stitched a little triangle. And I was like, it, it kind of clicked for me that it was like, I need to be doing something. I need to be doing something more. And I ended up making, I actually really love this piece. It's a large geometric piece of a lot of little triangles with gradient colors. And it was just kind of that moment for me where I was like, I need to be doing something creative. And I was like, what is it that I want to be doing? And I was like, I, I remembered my sample glass. It was at that time that my parents were cleaning out part of their house. And they were like, you need to take this stuff back. Um, I got away with some storage there for a while, but I need to take this stuff back. And I saw the box and I was like, oh, stained glass. Like this was something that I loved and I had completely forgotten about it. Um, and I was like, all right, I love stained glass. I love metal smithing. I can't do both. Which one would I like to do? And I was like, you know what? There's so much competition out there for metal work. So many people are making jewelry. Nobody's making stained glass. I'm going to invest in stained glass materials. And so I set out on this journey of stained glass thinking like, this is something that no one else is doing. And I could not have been more pleasantly surprised of the abundant community I found online after like I was well into my process of getting started again. I just had no idea that this was something that people were doing in this context of, you know, 
whether it's hobby or selling or whatever, but this whole movement of modern stained glass artists was just such a delight, an unexpected delight to stumble into. So what you're saying is, did I see other people doing it and get inspired that this was something I could do? Like, no, I had the opposite experience of thinking no one else is doing this. I'm going to do it. And then stumbling into some of the best friends I have. I love that. Is there anybody that you're, that you have within like your, like geographically your community that you are close friends with that you're also friends with on Instagram that does glass? Um, I honestly, not really. I have more recently become aware of the artists that we have locally. Um, Jacqueline from Glasswork Pixie was someone that I met up with last year and we've met up in person a couple times. And then I went to the glass craft and bead expo in Vegas this year and I met Kristen from Curiosity Glassworks and she wasn't someone that I was had connected with online before, but it turns out that she lives only 30 minutes away from me. So that's someone that I look forward to getting to see in person soon because I definitely want more of a local stained glass community. I think that's something that's so important. I love that. I um, have you. Dang, I wish I could have gone this year. I really was going to. And then my. Uh, my husband's travel dates lined up in a way that made it really hard for me. I would have had to take my daughter, which wasn't a huge deal, but we had like other things happening that week just made it too complicated. But are you going to the SGAA conference this year? I am not. I, I heard about it last year and I was like, is that something I should do? And I had just gone to Vegas for the Glasscraft and Beat Expo. And I had already planned a few other stained glass business trips to visit other friends and studios. And I was like, I just can't justify, I just can't justify another trip, but I have heard that it's a very cool opportunity. Is, was that the first time you had gone to Vegas for this? I actually went last year as well. Um, something that was really on my radar because I, when I started in 2019, it had been, it was past that. And then they canceled it in 2020. Um, and in last year, whatever last year would have been 2022, um, Oceanside reached out and was like, Hey, would you promote this event if we sent you glass? And I was like, what is this event? And I was like, how cool. Like I could, you know, meet people in person. Like this sounds fantastic. Um, I wasn't even really, I hadn't even considered that there might be stained glass meetups. Like mm-hmm. that's just in my own little bubble. Yeah. I think we all are. Um, okay. So you had one post in particular. Uh, that I saw and it was really what kind of like sparked me to be like, I want to talk to her. I feel like I, you know, I'd been following you for a while and you post so much useful information and helpful information. You're just, you're such an amazing resource within the community of um, tips and tools of the trade. And you just recently had a post where you did like a pie graph. Yes. Mm Mm-hmm. And you broke down exactly how you made your money this last year. Um, You are clearly very organized. We'll discuss that as well. This is basically what it said. It said 40% of your income was glasswork. 24% was custom glasswork. 12% was glass supplies. 9% was Patreon. 5% paid partnerships. 4% social media views. 2% sticker sales and your guide to social media and affiliate links. So I thought a way we could organize our talk today is that we would just kind of go down the list and talk about each thing individually. Does that work for you? That sounds great. 
Okay, good. The first thing here is 40% glasswork. Um, it's not the custom, right? No, that's just me doing shop updates, which is last year, I actually stopped taking customs for most of the year. I was like, a, I had been taking too many customs and was feeling really burned out because I love working with people. I love doing custom orders, but they take so much more time and can limit your creativity depending on what the project is. So I, I needed to take a step back and just say, you know, I, I need to work on what I feel like working on for a little bit. Um, yeah. I definitely did less of that last year, but it was very nice to see that even so I could still make the majority of my income just, you know, creating what I feel like creating. How many shop updates did you do like in a 12 month period? Later, when you ask me what my five to 10 year goals are, I'm going to say to be more organized so that I can create and organize my business in a more sustainable way. Um, I feel like I haven't really hit my rhythm in terms of how I want to be doing shop updates. And last year, I felt like I was just kind of all over the place. And especially towards the end of the year, I got really burned out and I just did too much. And then come January, I was just like, I can't do this anymore. I need to take a break and pivoted in different directions for a little bit there. So I don't have an answer for you, but that is something that I am actively working on is figuring out both how I want to organize my online store, how I want to organize my time and what makes the most sense for me in terms of like volume and structure for shop updates. If that makes I sense. I love that. Yeah, it does make sense. And I think that that's like that in itself is like such a great answer. Cause I think it's a good reminder for all of us to continually see ways that we can streamline and update our everythings because mm -hmm. sometimes, especially doing, you know, the podcast, I look at people, I look at a lot of websites mm -hmm. and I can see sometimes that people just haven't like, Oh, this is like, that's very outdated. Oh, I can tell that like, they haven't looked at this in a long time, this part here. And so I think that's great. Everybody keep, keep doing a sweep, just go, yeah. you know, keep cycling through all your stuff and see what, where you can trim off the fat, so to speak. Yeah, I actually last month I I went through and did a 50% off sale and just cleared out my entire studio because I had spent a lot of time trying to not do the kind of shop update where you up, upload everything and then sell out and then your website's empty because from a shopping consumer standpoint, I hate that. And I usually don't have time to follow an artist closely enough to be able to snag a piece at the right time on the right day. Um, you know, realistically, a lot of our customers are more casual appreciators of your work. And I think that's totally cool. Um, but I really, I don't like people shopping under duress. I know it feels really good to have a shop update that sells out right away, but from the consumer side, I feel like it leads to a lot of like disappointment, um, potentially disappointment. And I would hate for there to be any sort of like buyer's remorse or like, you feel like you have to buy this piece right now or you're not going to get it. So I was trying to keep my shop like stocked all the time with a lot of stuff. Um, and it, it kind of led to me feeling like I had too much sitting around in my studio. So I cleared everything out and I've been spending the last month or so kind of reevaluating how I want to structure my business. So I'm excited to update that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, update us on your update. <laughs> <laughs> I'll need to do the update first before I can update you on the update. We'll keep you updated. Let's see. 12% of your income was glass supplies. For last year, that was pretty much only layout frames, um, which was something that I started in the second half of the year. I'm, the exact time when I started doing layout frames was escaping me, but something towards like the second half of the year. And it started because I needed them. 
Um, and I was like, if I need them, maybe other people also need them. So that's something I've had a ton of fun with, like both creating new shapes that I want to use. And it's been so fun to see them popping up all over the place on social media, like whether or not people like say that they're using my frame, you know, I can tell. And I'm like, oh, there it is right there. Like, ooh, this person's using it for this design. Like, it's just, it's been so much fun for me. And I've had so many people sending me pictures of their work and behind the scenes stuff, which is just like a delightful insight into people's studios and creative processes. I love that. And I love these so much. They come in a few different sizes and shapes. So you have circles that range in size from four inches to 10 inches. And then you did a larger set of 12 inches, 14 inches and 16 inches, correct? Yeah, that's correct. Okay. You have rounded arches. There's a big arch that's a nine and a half inches by seven, a small arch, six and a half by five. And you have pointed arches Uh, The larger is nine by six and the small is six by four. And the extra large set of circles have notches at the quarter marks. So you can easily use these for half circles or wedges. And of course, these are all used for tracing your pattern, designing, marking your glass before cutting, fitting your pieces while grinding, checking your pieces uh, so they didn't grow after foiling and keeping your glass in place while soldering. These are so smart. I, I wish I could reach through my computer and like give you a high five. It's so smart. Really good work, Erin. What are these made of? Thank you. First of all, I really appreciate that. It has been so much fun to bring these to life. And I just, I love every part of it, both from like packing the orders, like my brain gets to like focus on like mass producing order packing. Like it's just so much fun for me. Um, they are made from quarter inch MDF board, um, which allows me to keep them more affordable for people. And I have absolutely loved using them. So it's so exciting for me to see other people um, excited about them too. Mm -hmm. And I didn't write down the prices. How much are you charging for them? Um, It depends on the set. But if you look at the individual frame, they're between $5 to $7 each. So the set of seven circles, for example, is $33. And then some of like the two two frame sets, like the the arches um, are, I think they're right around $14, $14. That is so reasonable. Yeah, I just wanted it to be accessible for a lot of people. And it's been really fun. I feel like keeping the price as reasonable as possible has allowed it to get into as many hands as possible. And you can reuse them, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, The only thing that I say is you want to be careful if you're going to use one set through the entire process. Um, You want to be mindful of cross-contaminating because if you're using the same one for designing that you're using for soldering, you don't want to be bringing like lead and um, patina, not patina, excuse me, lead and flux back into your design process when you're maybe not thinking about lead safety, um, if that makes sense. But I did share a couple of videos online about how if you want to only keep one set, um, you can keep all of your pieces arranged and then use something like blue painter's tape for your piece and then pop the frame out so it's kept in the exact shape, but then you don't have to contaminate it with lead and flux. Beautiful. There's a hack right, right in there. I am all about getting as much bang for your buck with one product as possible. Like for the squares that I made, I had, I added it later, but I've added bars that go across because I had so many people ask me for rectangles. And I was like, I'm not manufacturing rectangles that are going to be limited to the um, dimensions that I select. Plus you already have squares. So I finally figured out that I could make bars that pop in. um, So you can slide them in the squares to basically unlock infinite 
rectangles and you can pick the dimensions that you want. So I was like, I felt like a freaking genius for that one where I was like, you already have it, use it in more ways. Yes. Yes. And they are sold out right now, but are they coming back in stock soon? Yes. I should have them actually next week. Okay, great. So they'll be back before your episode airs. So everybody check those out. I'm like, really like, you need to buy these. They're really great. (laughs) (laughs) What else? Do you have any other glass supplies that you sell? Um, that when I bought out some of the big halls of glass, I did put together some mystery boxes because I had glass that quite literally wasn't going to fit in my storage unit. And I was like, I want to keep all of this glass, but I do need to get it into different homes just so that like I have floor space in my studio. So I did put together mystery boxes and send those out. So glass supplies is kind of a eh, title for that category, but it was mostly layout frames, some mystery glass packs with the, uh, the vintage glass that I had. So when they are available, do you just randomly, spontaneously post about it on social media? Or is this maybe something from your Patreon page? Um, yeah, I have given early access. I've done it differently. Um, I've done first access to Patreon and that usually sells them out. Um, but I have posted about it and said, you know, like, hey, they will be available on this day at this time. Um, okay. Yeah, no but worries. I usually don't have very many available at a time anyway. Um, The next thing on your list is you made 9% of your income last year from Patreon. And now, so I was looking over your Patreon page and I really like the way you have it set up. First of all, I feel like your tiers are very, like fairly priced. Um, Mm -hmm. It starts at $3 a month. And so with all, correct me if I'm wrong, because I just jotted down some notes. So I may have missed a thing or two. Uh, It says, um, basically for all of the tiers, you get bonus entries into Instagram giveaways Patreon only posts and messages, and you get Instagram close friends access. What's what's going on in there? That little secret club. <laughs> um, I um I share like a little bit more. I don't use it um too too often, but when I'm sharing a little bit more detailed of like behind the scenes, what I'm working on, tips and tricks. Um, I kind of realized I was putting out a lot of content that was more geared towards other stained glass artists and using language and like kind of technical information that was geared towards stained glass artists when the audience on my page really is customers or I would like my audience to be customers. So I was like, I felt like that was kind of a creative way to separate the kind of content because customers obviously want to see what goes into your work, but it doesn't necessarily need to be as detailed or technical. Um, So I felt like that was a good way to be able to do both. Yeah, very true. So then your first tier starts at uh, $3 a month. And again, you get those things plus namesake pieces and original glass piece named after you. But I saw that in all the tiers also. What what does that mean? Um, I... When I don't, when I'm naming some pieces, because sometimes I'll have like, I don't know, like my alligators, I always give them fun names or my pink princess philodendron leaves. I go through alphabetically and give them each like a name. Um, so if you want a glass piece named after you, I will post when I have a collection, like, hey, these are the pieces that need, need names. Like, do you resonate with any of them or do you have any suggestions? So whether it's your name or sometimes I just pick Patreon names just because I'm having fun with it or I'm like, this really feels like a Susan, like this is going to be a Susan piece. Um, So it's just something that I feel like is just a little bit fun. I tried to keep my Patreon um, 
very easy for me to manage um, because I didn't want it to take away from my time being creative. So I really wanted to offer stuff that was easy and fun for me to manage um, while also offering, you know, benefits to people who wanted to support my art. That is such a fun way to connect with your Patreon members. And also, I think it's just, it doesn't cost you anything, but it's something that people really want because people love like bespoke, personalized things. And so another high five right through my my Zoom screen right here. I was like, yes, that is, yes. The next tier is $7. Patreon-only voting power for shop updates and designs. Patreon-only posts and messages and 5% off in the shop at all times. The next one is $10. And this one uh, said, do you need a group to talk glass with? This tier is great for connecting to a group of glass artists. In addition to getting personalized help on your work, quick feedback on ideas and quick feedback on ideas. This tier gives you access to behind the scenes and hot tips on my close friends list. There's that only fans. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is for Aaron's uh, OnlyFans glass account. Access to our <laughs> group chat on Instagram for support and feedback and an invitation to our monthly video meeting where you can submit patterns for critique and get your glass questions answered. Okay. So once a month, you have like a glass chat on your Patreon page and people can join in and do they send you their questions and patterns and uh, pieces beforehand so that you have it ready to go or do they show up with them? No, they send it to me beforehand. So we've been doing it for over a year at this point. So it's kind of turned into like a lovely group of people that I'm excited to hang out with every month. It's definitely a highlight for me. So we've done it a few different ways because it just, it depends on what people are submitting. So if I'm getting patterns or I really love getting pictures of what people have in in progress because then we get to see updates you know next month it's going to be finished or here it is hanging in a window so people will submit stuff that either questions that they have topics they want to talk about which might be um one that we talked about recently was she had um a local coffee shop and she was had some questions about how to set up um her window display in this coffee shop so we all were able to talk through our ideas and suggestions for how to hang her pieces and you know just a fun way to see what other people are working on. Um, so I'll either I will either put together a little quick slideshow, like not a pretty one, just like a quick, like here's the information kind of slideshow and here are the pictures to talk through. Um, but if I don't get any pictures or patterns or questions, then we just hang out and talk about what we've been up to. And it's really nice to have that little feeling of a little glass community. And it's um, all skill levels. Um, a lot of beginners, a lot of hobbyists, but also, you know, people who are selling their work and doing it a little bit more professionally. I have one person who's a stained glass teacher that still comes to hang out with us. So it's it's a lot of fun. I really enjoy it. So in some ways you are hosting, but you're also like a moderator. Yeah, I would say that. And it's, it's, it's through Patreon, but I feel like it's for my benefit too. I've cultivated a nice little group of friends and a fun project that we've been working on for almost a year now is uh, like a patchwork piece. Um, so I started with an oval traced and I put my one little piece on it and outlined it and mailed it to the next person on the list. So we're doing like a, a friendship chain glass piece. So it's been really fun to get update pictures as it moves from person to person. So we'll see what it looks like when it's done. 
but I've always wanted to kind of have a community art project. And this is like a really fun little way to accomplish that. It's so sweet. (laughs) I'm going to cry. Oh, I love that. Okay. uh, Next year, next year. Okay. Next tier is $11. Uh, Sticker packs will be released quarterly. There's three stickers four times a year. You get feeling glassy content. Also sounds like maybe an OnlyFans, I don't know, feeling glassy. What's going on there, Erin? 15% off in the shop at all times. Um, So that tier, if I have, so it's the sticker tier. And I had a lot of people who are stained glass artists and want to be in the stained glass tier, but also want stickers. So I was like, I just made the content accessible to both. So if you're in the higher tier, you still get the content from the lower tier. Um, That's definitely my most popular one. And it's been really fun for me to make stickers for it because I needed to practice my digital drawing skills. I still do all of my designs by hand, but it has been a really great opportunity for me to practice translating those designs into digital designs as I work towards my goal of being able to design stuff digitally from the get-go. And you use Sticker Mule, right? Yeah, I do. I use them too. And I have to say that I've I've used like three different companies, not too many, but I've tried a few different ones for my stickers. And I think Sticker Mule is the best. I just want to also put my my little stamp of approval on Sticker Mule for anybody who's wanting to make stickers. Oh, yeah. You know what? They were the first ones that I tried and I felt like the quality was so great. I never even tried anyone else. Um, and I do have a discount code I can send you. I think it's $10 off your first order if anyone wants to try it for themselves. Oh, sweet. Yeah. I'll definitely add that into the show notes so anybody can can give them a shot. And then that's it. Your last tier ends with $11, which I think is just so reasonable. And then I was looking at your like bio of your Patreon. It says, I am creating a community here, a community. Everybody knows I cannot say that word. I am creating a community here on Patreon with benefits like monthly shop coupons, exclusive giveaways, and monthly group meetings to talk about our current projects. My next goal is to start a podcast and having a Patreon will help me work towards that. What kind of a podcast are you starting? I have put so much thought into this and I just cannot get it off the ground for my own I talked about earlier about not having a quiet place in my one bedroom studio apartment. And that's a huge factor in this. Um, But I want to start a podcast to help other small business artists. And I really like my idea. I have put so much time into fleshing it out and I kind of just need like a kick in the butt to get going with it. Um, But I want it to be no one else do this idea before I get around to it. But I want it to be two-part episodes of interviewing other small business creatives. And I want it to be people who are doing this full-time to really share what that looks like for other people. Um, So the first part of the episode would be talking about the whatever medium that they work in, the behind the scenes on this art. I thought it would be interesting to talk to maybe some more unusual types of art, um, maybe some stuff that people wouldn't necessarily know too much about to really get into like what that looks like and maybe inspire people to try something new. Um, and then the second episode um, would be talking about the behind the scenes small business stuff, what organization looks like to them, what their business numbers look like, what it 
you know, their challenges, their feedback, their advice for other people who are interested in being a small business. So I feel like that would cater to, um, you know, a big audience of people who want to support artists and other small businesses, but not everyone is necessarily interested in the business side of it. So if you just wanted the art side of it, you could listen to the only the part one of these interview episodes. Um, and I think it would just be something that I would have a lot of fun doing and learning about other people in different mediums. It's a podcast that I would want to listen to, which I think is why I want to make it. That's always the best way. You got to yes. find what, what you want to hear and then make it. Um, yeah. I think that's awesome. I support you in any way. And if there's any way, I literally can support you and help you other than being a Patreon member, although I'll <laughs> do that too. But if there's any other way that I can actually be more help to you in terms of starting your own podcast, you know, immediately I thought um, she should use her storage unit to record in. But I know that you probably don't have Wi-Fi there. So then I was thinking immediately that you can buy these. They're new. T-Mobile makes them and they're these little... What's the word? I don't know what the name of it is. I can I can also put a link into it. But when we lived in the Berkshires, we didn't have Wi-Fi up there. There we just we just it was too far out from anything. We didn't have Wi-Fi, and so we bought this Wi-Fi box basically, and it it's so powerful. And at the time, I I don't know if that was just as special, but we only pay fifty dollars a month for it, hmm. and it's unlimited data. Okay. And the Wi-Fi was like the, like the, um, the speed was insane. So I don't know, maybe you could, you could build out your, like a little section of your, um, your storage unit with storage unit with some, you know, soundproofing and set up a little rig in there. I think you're underestimating how full my storage unit is of glass. Um, but I love that you think that I have room to put anything else in there. Well, you really only need room for like two chairs because mm-hmm. you don't even need a full desk. You mm-hmm. just need like a, obviously a chair to sit in unless you want to stand, unless you're a stander, maybe you're a stander. And then like I, I can t- I can tell you right now, like you literally only need enough space for something for your laptop to sit on. Mm-hmm. And like I have, you know, right now I'm like writing and stuff in my lap, but you really don't need a lot of space at all. And I think maybe it'll be beneficial that you don't have a lot of space around you because of then like soundproofing. Interesting. You know, and actually coming over to my parents' house, which is only 15 minutes away, I'm, it made me realize like I do have, I was getting really stuck on like needing to rent a studio to record in. And they're so expensive here. It was just like, I can't justify the cost of a podcast, but I'm like, why am I not thinking about the people that I have in my life who would be willing to share their space with me? I totally have that. Um, So this is one step closer to achieving my podcast dreams. Absolutely. And I'll help you like in terms of like, I've used a couple different of these things that I'm pointing to, like the hold the microphone. I've used a couple different microphones, headphones, like I'll, I I'm here and like, I just, just use me as a resource because I really want this podcast to happen for you. I want this. I love that. And I would absolutely love to get your feedback on stuff to buy because I'm someone who gets really stuck in needing to buy the right thing. And I think that limits me because I then don't buy anything. So instead of just get started with something, I get really focused on like, I need to research what is the optimal device for this situation. Um, And if it's not perfect, I'm not doing it, which is such a silly approach to things. I'm really working hard on like, start with something like, cause something's better than nothing. Yeah. Um, But I would love your recommendations because your podcast is great. 
Oh my gosh, thank you so much. And the truth is, is that technology has gotten so good and com- companies have gotten so competitive in terms of their technology or not competitive, rather, everybody is sort of like using everything that everybody else is using and it just keeps getting better and better and better that you really don't have to spend a jillion dollars to to like sound really good. Mm -hmm. So anyway, I'm here for you. Thank you. You're welcome. Back to Glass. 5% of your income was from paid partnerships. Yeah, that is something that I would love to do more of. Uh, last year, I had uh, Penguin Publishing reach out to me to do a collaborative promotion for um, Issue Girl's new book. Um, so I did the cover um, in stained glass and we did a giveaway together and I made some content for them. Um, and I had a ton of fun with that. I worked with Stoggles, like the little eye protection company, and made them a little video. Um, I did a giveaway with uh, Vault Can, the, which is the smoke absorber that I use. Um, I did a couple others and they're escaping me, uh, at the moment, but I, it's something that I have a lot of fun with, and I would really like to do that both in terms of like tools and materials I genuinely like using, um, and also like using my stained glass art to work with companies. I had a lot of fun, um, doing the book cover in stained glass. Um, but at the same time, I'm really aware of advertising to the audience that I have so carefully built. So Mm -hmm. it's. It definitely like that kind of work needs to come from a genuine place on my end. Yeah, I know what you mean by that. Well, I was looking at your tools and links page that I don't think they are they are all affiliate links, but some of them are. And some of these are also very hackish. And so I picked out a couple that I wanted to go over with you. The first one is out of tools and materials you use for zinc frames, you recommend blue gun to turn it black. And I've never heard of this stuff. And I need you to walk me through exactly what it is and how you use it. I definitely cannot take credit for using that for zinc. I don't recall where I got that information from, um, but it works great. I tested, you know, regular patina. I tried the zinc came specific patina and I think the gun blue works the best. And it's literally like you can buy it at Walmart. It's this chemical that you use for cleaning your guns. Um, but I think it works great. It's very easy to work with too. And a similar application process to patina. You clean your guns with it. That's what it's for, but it turns zinc black. Yeah. It might have other applications, but that's how it's, that's how it's sold. Huh. Okay. I maybe need to do a little bit more reading on it. (laughs) (laughs) You can buy, I bought mine at Walmart. Actually, I don't really want to plug Walmart. You can buy it online easily. Okay. That all tracks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, If you need to glue your work for any reason, like came to glass, for example, the E6000 glue is recommended. Um, When are you gluing your glass to your cane? I got to think about, I had one specific design that was tiny enough and it hung well, but it had an interior curve and I just didn't want the hobby cam to pull away from it. And it wasn't for structural reasons. Obviously it was, if it was a large enough design, I would have had an attachment point there, but I think I designed it. This was, this was a while ago. Um, yeah, I wish I could remember what piece it was, but I posted about it in a little like glass girls gr- group chat to be like, what am I supposed to do here? Um, 
And it was just to prevent someone from being able to pull the came away on an interior curve where it didn't have an attachment point. Now I'm definitely more aware of designing proper came attachment points. That makes sense though. Uh, and then you said, I used this binder with tab dividers and a planner. You said that, um, let's see, you wrote, I use this three ring binder and these tab dividers to keep paper copies of receipts and expenses tracked by month. There are a lot of ways to do this, but this works for me. And I love this plan planner. And it's a eight and a half by 11 inch monthly and weekly 2023 planner with tabs. It has months and weeks with plenty of space to write on for each day. I use that planner every day. I it is it is such a great tool for me staying organized, especially since this is my full time job and I'm the one in charge of all of my time. So I use that planner. I sit down every day um, and spend maybe 15 minutes going over what I want to accomplish for the day, maybe what I need to accomplish, you know, if I had something that I had written down for the future. But, you know, today I'm going to patina these pieces. I need to mail this item or whatever it may be. And then on Mondays, I sit down and write my overarching goals for the week. And then at the beginning of the year, I kind of have like a rough outline for what I want to be doing for the whole year. And it's just, it's really nice to have all of that in one place uh, to reference. It definitely helps me stay on top of things. What you just said is always on like those articles that are like the top 10 things that all of the most successful people in the world do. And it's like, get a lot of sleep, you know, also time blocking and writing things down and making a plan at the beginning of your week of goals and things that you need to do, you know, to do. And anyway, I love that for anybody, just not just a stained glass artist, anybody that wants to be efficient with their time and organized and check everything off, you have to write it down. I'm very analog. I have everything written on like a giant dry erase board and my husband's like, you know, that we could like, we could get you on the interwebs with this. <laughs> I am the same as you. And a lot of times, like if you notice in my little notes about the three ring binder where I keep my paper receipts, I think I wrote something along the lines of like, there was a lot of ways to do this. This is what worked for me. And that is because when I make comments about how I do things, I inevitably get messages that are like, there's an app for that, or you could digitalize this. And I'm like, this is what works for me. And I'm good with that. Like, I'm not, you know, I appreciate suggestions and feedback and whatnot. And I think there are a lot of different ways to accomplish things, but I am very much like a write it down on paper. Like I track all of my miles for my car. I have my little notebook in the car and I write down my trip and my miles and the date and what I was doing and all that kind of stuff. And I have my little notebook. And then once a month, I take my little miles and I add them up and I put them in my QuickBooks. Um, but I'm very much a handwritten, hand notes, printed, printed person as well. I mean, we're tactile people. Wait, but why do you track your miles? That is a business write-off that all of you need to be doing because it is fantastic. Um, so any trips that I'm making related to my business, I'm tracking them. And I think this year you got 65 cents a mile, maybe. Um, but it is my mom's a small business accountant, and that is like her number one write-off for small businesses is take the miles write-off. Do it. It's more, it's always more than you think it's gonna be. Um and it's a really easy one to do. So it's not too late if you have, it's April. If you haven't been doing it for this year, start now. And then you can backtrack by looking at your um, 
credit card statements and any receipts that you have. So you can see, you know, what trips that you've made to stores, going to the post office for me, going to my storage unit. If I'm going to a museum, that's a write-off because I'm going for, um, you know, research and development purposes. So there are a lot of things that you can be writing off. And miles is a great one. Well, either myself or you need to have your mom on the podcast. <laughs> I actually did um, a live with her um, maybe about a year, a year and a half ago. And I still get messages from people about how helpful it was. So really, yes, it is like what her favorite thing. She doesn't really do it anymore, but her favorite thing to do was to take a small business, get them established and then graduate them from her. Like she didn't want to keep working with them. She wanted to teach them what they needed to do. And then, you know, now you're operating on your own. You don't need me anymore. Congratulations. Um, So she's a wonderful resource to have. We all need that. We all need that in a mom. Yeah. So the next thing is social media views 4%. Mm-hmm. How are you getting paid for your social media views? Unfortunately, they canceled the program, but for the last nine months or so, Instagram had a Reels bonus program where you were getting paid per view. Um, so unfortunately, they canceled that, but it was nice while it lasted. And was that just to get people to make Reels? I would assume so. I think it was like a incentivizing businesses to see that that was a valuable resource for them. Um, Got it. Yeah. 2% sticker sales, guide to social media and affiliate links. Mm-hmm. How are the affiliate affiliate links different from the paid partnerships? So affiliate links, um, when you go on my website and you were talking about the list of tools and materials that I have on there, when you click on those links and if you purchase from that link, I get like a very small percent um, for sending you to that company. So wh- what? how do you differentiate? I'm, I'm asking for our listeners, what is the difference between a paid partnership and uh, an affiliate partnership? Okay. So a paid partnership was something that, uh, you know, a company would reach out and say, Hey, I want to do a giveaway together, or I would like to work together where you create the stained glass piece to advertise my business. Whereas the affiliate links is a lot more passive. I put together my website and listed out all of the tools and materials that I like, and then signed up for affiliate programs with companies so that when you follow my link to their website, they track it on their end. And if you purchase, I get a percent from that. Got it. Okay. And that's it for your, for your little pie. Yeah. A whole year. It was really nice of you to, to share that. I love that. Um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Breakdown. Transparency. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely. I, well, I mean, I think it's really important, you know, we're all kind of figuring this out. I, I want people to, you know, have as many resources they have. I took a business class um, and it was largely artists um, a couple years ago. And one of the guest speakers came on and they spent, you know, 30 minutes talking to us. And then at the end of it, they're like, yeah, but this isn't a real way to make a living. We just do this for fun. And I was like, why are you coming to a business podcast or excuse me, why are you coming to a like a business class for artists and then telling us that this isn't a way to make a living? Like, I, I just, I can't stand that. So I, when I was talking about my podcast earlier, I was like, it's really important to me that it's like, people are doing this full time and understand what it means to be 
an artist supporting yourself, like sharing that resource with other people trying to do the same thing, I think is so valuable. You know, I agree. I, I think it's you that says it, but when the water rises, all the ships rise with it. Yeah. I said boats, but ships works too. It's all in the same family. Yeah. Uh, maybe I'll, I'll, maybe I'm going to switch it to ships because ships are bigger and we're like all like, we're, we're not boats, we're yachts, right? (laughs) Okay. Let's see. Uh, your, your guide to social media. I asked you this morning if I saw it on your website and I was like, shoot, I need to look over this. So thank you so much for sending it to me. Um, it's amazing. Aaron sells these on our website for only $20. And this ebook is 35 pages of what has helped me to get my small business up and running on Instagram. I want to show you there are better ways to quantify success on social media. And I want to give you some tools that have helped me do it and have fun with it. So there's, it's kind of broken up. There's types of content, questions to ask yourself to get started, which is so important so that you're just not like all over the place. Um, What kind of, also leading you to like what content is best for you. And then you go into how to make reels, how to write scripts, tips on editing, things to avoid, and myths. Is there anything really big that I missed? No, I think that about covers it. Okay. Uh, Yeah, no, that was something I had a lot of fun with. Um, I think that social media is such an awesome, valuable tool. You know, it's a privilege that we get to share our work with so many people. And I just, I see so many people, so many small businesses getting really down on themselves or caught up in the vanity numbers where they forget that it's, it's a privilege to share your work at all. And also like just to reevaluate what's important, you know, I think a lot of people focus on followers or views or likes, and it's like, I really want to help people reframe you know, how they think about social media and how they value it, because it's really easy to, you know, I get, want to focus on the vanity numbers. I mean, those are literally the metrics that social media gives you to quantify yourself. But, you know, you can look at how many meaningful interactions you have with people. And I, I take little screenshots when people send me a really nice message about how I inspired them to be an artist or really kind comments. I screenshot them and save them in a little folder. So when I'm kind of feeling down on myself. I have a nice little like album to read through, but you can look at like the meaningful impacts that you've had on people and these kind of less tangible numbers to value your time on social media. You just need to think about what they are to you. Um, so you don't get as caught up in the silly metrics that they provide for us. Yeah. Imagine if you had five people walk through your studio and go like, wow, I like that. That would blow you away. You know, and so to when I see people complaining online, like, oh, I only got, you know, 30 likes on this post or, you know, whatever it is, you know, it's all scalable, like whatever your negative metric is to you. It's like reevaluate how you're thinking about that, because it is amazing that you were able to share your work with people. Yeah. It's so true. I think about that sometimes when people get like thousands and thousands of like when people get like, you know. 20,000 likes on a photo. I'm like, you literally just filled a stadium of people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I mean, I don't, I don't actually know how many people go into a stadium, but. That sounds right. I would take it. Like, I'm buying what you're selling there. But even if you get 30 likes, that was 30 people that got to see your work. Yeah. I mean, we're in such a generation, like, 
people before us didn't get that opportunity, you know, to have access to like this online community where you get to, you know, not only create, but share what you're creating with other people. Yeah. Yeah. It's good to remember that. What gave you the idea to put this together? The guide to social media. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really love helping people. Um, and I feel like I have been able to figure out what works well for me on social media, but I started with zero information and I feel like I spent about six months kind of like throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what would stick. Um, and I tried a lot of different things that I felt like didn't really work. And it took me a while to kind of start seeing results. And I just thought it would be really nice to put together what I would have wanted if, when I was getting started, I was like, you know, I made it to, uh, I don't want to say I made it, but I got to a point on social media where I'm able to have fun with it, create content, engage with my community. And I feel like I have a lot of insight into what works and what doesn't work. And I wanted to put it together into a book to pass it on to other people who might feel like they're struggling or need a little bit of direction or, you know, are just getting started or feeling lost just to show that there are different ways to quantify success, different ways to have fun with it and to figure out, you know, what works and what doesn't work for them. Um, I especially like the questionnaire section of the guide to social media, because I feel like it outlines, you know, what you should be thinking about um, in an easy way, um, especially if all you've used is personal social media, you know, because you need to be thinking about, you know, what impact do you want to have on people? How do you want to be perceived? And what are you doing to create that feeling on your page? Um, And just to have like a little bit more awareness of how you're posting and why. So you've gotten really good feedback from it? I've gotten great feedback from it, but I also don't know if anyone would send me a message that's like, this is terrible and hasn't helped me at all. So (laughs) I've got lovely messages and I have them saved in my little album of kind screenshot messages. So there's some kooks out there. It can happen. I'm (laughs) telling you. (laughs) I feel like I'm so lucky. I have such kind people on my social media. It's, it's just, it's a lot of fun. And I want to add too that this can be uh, conducive to. It's not just stained glass art. This is this is anything. This is any any person that is embarking upon social media with business in mind. Thank you. Yes, I did try to keep it as broad as possible um, because I think the ideas, the overarching ideas, are definitely applicable to any individual embarking on a small business journey. I want to talk about your Florida native panel. It's so beautiful. Um, this is what it says on your website next to the the panel. Florida Natives is meant to celebrate and capture the true beauty of the Sunshine State, its wildlife, while bringing attention to the impacts of our changing landscape. Each creature in this panel is a threatened or endangered Florida animal. From the black skimmer rosette spoonbill, uh, Rosietta Spoonbill. Rosietta Spoonbill, mother and nursing calf manatee. Mom, I love manatees. Green sea turtle, Florida brown snake, gopher tortoise, Cassius blue butterfly, American alligator, and Florida scrub jay. These native species all hold significance to my life in Florida, whether it is watching the skimmers make their nest and hatch their chicks on the beach in the summers 
Kayaking on a spring as a manatee drifts by, receiving a stealthy glare from an alligator at the lake on my morning walk, spotting a snake slither into the bushes, or the most special to me, catching a glimpse of pink as a rosetta. No, is that it? As a rosetta spoonbill soars by. Florida has always been in a state of transformation. We need to make sure we bring our native species. Species. Do you say species or species? I say species, but I've definitely said species before. Okay. I feel like that one's less, like less different than like pecan versus pecan. I feel like species, species is more interchangeable. Okay. Cause sometimes I feel like I say one and sometimes I say the other and I never know if I'm all right, here we go. We need to make sure we bring our native species along for the ride. This piece was truly a joy to create and I am so proud of it. And I am so proud that it was selected to be in the Imagine Museum for their Florida and Transformation exhibit. So tell us about this place, this Imagine Museum, because that's quite an honor. Congratulations. Thank you. I could not be more proud that I was selected. I think there was only 37 artists that were in the exhibit. Um, the Imagine Museum is a, it's a phenomenal glass museum. It's local here. It's down in St. Pete. Um, it's mostly um, non-stained glass, glass art. Um, I submitted my piece and I was thinking about, I had gone to the museum recently and I was like, did I even see any stained glass in this museum? And I, I didn't think that I had at that point. So I was like, man, I don't know if I, I don't, I, I don't know if I like was, I was worried that I had like wasted my time, like spending all of this energy and effort on this piece for the submission, because I did make the piece, especially for the submission. Um, but I had a friend who sent me the link and was like, Hey, you should apply for this. And the deadline was in two weeks. And I was like, that's not going to happen. And I showed it to my partner, Brandon. And he's like, Aaron, like you got to go for it. Like you can do it. So I made at that point, it was one of the biggest pieces I had ever made. I like designed and executed it within like 12 days, I think, which was like, I can't make a regular size panel in that amount of time usually. So I was like extra proud that I was able to pull it off, not only like pull it off and finish it, but that it was selected uh, for this very excellent museum. If you're ever in St. Pete, I highly recommend stopping by. Even just the website is incredible. For those who are geographically not able to come to St. Pete, the website is also... (laughs) Fun to look at. Uh, da, 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 da. You also posted about another piece I wanted to ask you about that was um, the space hex. Mm, yeah. Are you a big astronomy fan or like NASA? Because it is kind of, it's there in Florida. It is. I think that I would just say a nerd in general and an appreciator of science as a whole. I mean, my I have a bachelor's in biology, so I think I just have a curiosity about life and where it comes from, where it's going. Um, and the first time I made that design, the hexagons were separate, um, and it was for a show called Cosmos. It was just a local like one night pop-up show, but I made it when the James Webb Space Telescope was being launched. Um, and the show date happened to be on the day that um, the launch was happening. So that was like an extra little fun bit for me. And then Brandon, uh, my partner, who's a handyman, was working in someone's condo and kind of got to talking with the guy who is an enormous space-specific nerd. And he was talking about me and bragging and you know doing all of the lovely things 
that a partner does. And the guy actually ended up reaching out to me and asked me if I would do a solid piece. And he had a couple different ideas for the individual hexagons, but it was really fun for me to get to execute my idea, kind of how I originally wanted to do it, like as one big piece, um, since that opportunity doesn't come along quite as often, you know, just budget and price wise. Um, but it's meant to mirror the inside. It's, it's meant to look like the inside mirrors of the James Webb Space Telescope. Oh, cool. Yeah. I didn't so realize that. Yeah. It, yeah. There, it's 17 hexagons minus the interior. Oh, okay. Got it. Oh, that's that makes it so much cooler. I love that. Did you see recently that they just discovered like a piece of the, um, what's it called? The Discovery, the Challenger. They just discovered um, pieces in the ocean. There were some divers that were actually looking for artifacts from like a, um, they were looking for like Civil War, like a, a sunken ship or something. And they uh, found some pieces from the Challenger. I did not see that. And I just wrote that down so I can go do a deep dive on that when we're done talking. That's yeah. I This is also like, because you said in the, actually, I'm going to tell you this because you said in the post, drop a fun fact. Did you get any fun facts? I didn't even read the comments. Oh, I got so many fun facts. I'm not going to be able to whip them out off the top of my head, but I got, people are so fun and creative. I love, you know, I think part of the fun of having like a social media following is just like all the different types of people coming together. So I definitely got fun facts on that post. Okay, good. I should have read them before I started this interview. That would have been a fun thing to to, <laughs> to retell. With me um, on various science facts. <laughs> yeah. I used to live in Florida. I lived in I lived in a few places, but when I was in second grade, I think I may have said this on the podcast before because it's like one of those memories where like sometimes I don't know if it's like a memory or if it's like a memory of like what people have told me the memory was. You know what I mean? But yeah. when I was in second grade is when that Discovery Challenger was launched and I lived in Sarasota mm-hmm. and we all went out onto the lawn to see the launch. Have you heard me say this before? No, I, I haven't. Okay. I think I may have said it on the podcast. Anyway, I saw it explode like in real time. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And wild. It was, yeah, really wild. So wild that I'm like, that happened, right? Like I really saw that. (laughs) But I remember, I remember us, they, we all sat out in this like grass courtyard waiting for it to happen. Cause even though Cape Canaveral is on the other side of Florida, like, I think you can still like, it's Florida's not that wide. You know what I mean? So you can still see it and it kind of, it was far away, but I remember it like kind of not really knowing what was happening. Like, I think a lot of us thought that it was just like pieces falling naturally as things do when things break away. And, but yeah, isn't that crazy? That is absolutely wild. 1986 was the year. That is an aside that has nothing else to do with anything else. Let's see. That was a great story though. Well, thanks. I did live in Florida. I lived I lived in Sarasota. I lived in Bradenton Beach. I lived on Siesta Key. And I lived on Anna Maria Island. Oh wow, you've lived all over in Florida. Yeah. Yeah, my mom bopped around quite a bit. And then yeah, and then like later I moved to my dad's house and in fifth grade, I moved in with my dad in the Midwest. We moved 
um, well, I moved back to the Midwest and because that's where I was born. And then I caught, I like caught them at like a, a chapter of their life when they were like moving a lot. And so maybe that's what's wrong with me now. <laughs> you need to move around a lot as an adult. No, I really didn't. But the last five years have been mm-hmm. a lot. Like I've moved, uh, well, one, two, three. I'm about, I'm about to move back to Portland. So it'll be four times. Oh, wow. I knew you moved at least once because I remember catching that on the podcast. Yeah. But I, the happiest I've ever been was when I lived in one place for a very long time. And so this last move, we're like, no matter what happens, like, I don't care if it's like, the house like burns down. We're still going to like live in the ashes. Like I'm not moving. So. <laughs> oh, well, I hope, I hope you find your place. Thank you. I think I will. Before we did our interview, I knew I wanted to ask you about this Florida natives panel. And I, w- I had also asked you if you could give us maybe a couple organizations to donate to um, in support of the threatened and, and or endangered Florida animals. Did you did you have anybody to share with us? Yeah, I did. Um, so the two that I have donated to for animal-related stuff have been the Florida Wildlife Corridor, which is um, it's just a network of connected lands throughout Florida, which is really important for conservation efforts because, like, so many of our species, like, travel or, you know, have different life cycles that need different ecosystems. And so having not only conserved land, but connected conserved land is super important. So that's an organization that I like. Um, And as well as the Florida Wildflower Foundation. Um, So they do, you know, planting and conservation work along with like research. Um, They've done a lot with our roadways. um, So reducing mowing on like the wildflowers you see like on the side of the road. So like that's land that we already have. We already have the wildflowers. Like why are we mowing these down? Like there's no reason for that. So I, I really like that kind of work where it's like working with what we have already for conservation efforts. And you know, our pollinators are really the backbone of so many ecosystems. So I think that's a really great organization, you know, supporting from like the ground level to then support the rest of the Florida species that we have. Yeah. I love how passionate you are about Florida and the ecosystem that lies within. And actually, you did have a couple posts that I wrote down. One said, art in a medium like stained glass is inherently not environmentally friendly. My shipping process is a step where I can rely almost entirely on secondhand materials And while I love doing my best to keep your order feeling like a special gift when you open it, my first priority is always to reduce the impact we are having on the environment. The next post said, buying cute packaging that is recyclable is fun, but it's even better to give materials headed for a landfill a second life. Sometimes I feel a little self-conscious about my black and white printing, brown paper, and ink stamp, but my value of reducing environmental impact is more important to me than a fun aesthetic and I hope my customers share the, these and I hope my customers share these values as well. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about ways we can minimize our footprint with our packaging. What things yeah. have you found that work really well for you? Um as a whole or just in packaging? Like throughout the process of stained glass or like just packaging specific? Let's talk about packaging first, but then if there's anything as a whole that you would like to add to to that, we can, we can okay. do that. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, 
I think I'm a big fan of working with what you have um, on the broader scale of things, but specifically with packaging, like I feel like I do a good job of creating as nice and cute of a package as I can with the materials that I have. Um, And I'm really fortunate to have a network of friends and family that are local to me and who save up their boxes and their brown paper packaging and their bubble wrap. Um, Because I really, I I want to be doing, I think we all need to be doing better with what we can do better with. And, you know, that means something different for all of us and we all have different values. And, you know, for me, as you explained in my, my posts, I just want to be clear of like why the package that you're getting looks the way it looks like it is done intentionally. Um, and I, I, I have only gotten positive feedback from my packing process, but I can't help but feel a little bit self-conscious every now and then when I see people like doing their beautiful unboxings. And I think that that is such a fun thing to do, but at the same time, it's just not where my business values are. Um, But I keep my packing process pretty easy. It's bubble wrap, cardboard sandwich, brown paper, and I have a custom, uh, business logo stamp that was carved for me. So I use my little ink pad and, you know, my little business logo stamp on my packaging to keep it a little bit cohesive. Um, And then I pack my boxes with kind of whatever I have, whether it's packing peanuts or, you know, the bubble mail, uh, the air bubble packers. I don't know what they're called. Those like big big ones, the big puffers? Yeah, the big, big bubbles or, you know, more bubble wrap or brown paper, or, um, I pack all of my layout frames with newspaper, um, because those aren't fragile and I'm a little bit less worried about them. Um, so it takes me a little bit more time because my packing process isn't standard materials. It's what I have access to that week. Um, so it definitely is a little bit of a time investment on my end of things, but I think it's worth it. I think it's worth it too. Thank you for your service. (laughs) And also, I want to say that your video that you posted, it all looked very intentional and clean. And I loved the branding. And I thought that it was just as exciting as any other unboxing I would have seen that had other colors of ink. I don't know. You know, like I thought it was great. And I definitely, I don't mean to share this um, to poo-poo on what other businesses are doing. I think like we all choose what's important to us. And for some people that might be beautiful colors and a fun unboxing. So I, you know, I I definitely don't want to give anyone else a hard time about whatever they're using for their process, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, but I think that like opening your box is just as much of an inexperience, you know? Mm -hmm. And then we throw that box away. I mean, we're not throwing our boxes away. I also have a bunch of boxes, but I'm saying... Most people then recycle the box. So really it's the glass piece. So I, I just, I just want to say that like, keep on keeping on is, is I think what I'm trying to land on. Okay, Aaron, it's time for your final three questions. Who is your favorite stained glass artist? I knew the question was coming. I put a lot of thought <laughs> to it and I, it's so hard to pick just one, like one artist. How do you even how do you even pick that? Um, most recently, I've really been enjoying uh, Jacqueline Miller's work from Assembly Glassworks. She's been doing some really fun experimenting, and I really appreciate her attention to detail and the care and thought that she puts into her process, as well as um, it seems like she's going through this period of like 
fun experiments. She's been working with some sandblasting. She's been doing some kind of more three-dimensional stuff. Um, and I just, I love seeing her creativity unfold. I think that she just does such a wonderful job. And I know you've already had her on your podcast. I love Jacqueline. I'm her number one fan. And yeah, she has been on the podcast. Um, I know it was last se- this last season. It was season three. I want to say she was like the second or third the third episode in. Uh, but I don't remember what number it is. But I will do a direct link to all of your favorite artists at the bottom. So we'll make it easy for everybody to find her again. Yeah. I think I'm going to leave it just at Jacqueline for my favorite stained glass artist. Okay. Wow. Good job. You actually just chose one. That's really hard. That is really hard to do. I thought that you know, there's so many people that I could list off, but then like, where do you cut that list off? I just feel like Jacqueline's just been doing some stuff that like recently that I really appreciate seeing. Yeah. I got you. Okay. And who was your favorite artist outside of glass? I think that I'm going to go with Wendy Ward, who is someone that you and everyone else on this podcast has probably never heard of, but it happens to be my grandmother. Um, she is a conceptual artist. She did all of her work in the seventies to early eighties. Um, and she was just so far beyond her time. It's just really fun to go back and see what she was creating back then. She's very, um, conceptual. She was using found materials. She did a lot of stuff with like dryer lint, feathers, like driftwood. Um, And she was very tongue in cheek about being a housewife and a mother in that time. Um, And she really didn't have any support in her community. She didn't have any support from her husband. And so she was kind of just like creating these very, very neat, very funky, very out there, very weird conceptual art that I don't want to say was unappreciated in its time, but I I kind of want to say just unappreciated in its time. Like she never sold any of her work, um, but she did do a lot of work in like small gallery spaces. She actually had a piece in MoMA this last year. She doesn't have, um, she doesn't know where a lot of her work ended up. Um, Of course, like family members have different pieces. Like I have some of her little dryer lint pieces, Um, but she has a piece in MoMA in there just above Midtown exhibit. Um, That was a really cool, like underground art scene in New York. Um, And her piece is called um, Three Inches Equals One Week of Laundry. And it was her collecting dryer lint from the laundry that she was doing as a housewife and mother of five kids. And it's kind of like unfolding the story of your family a little bit. Um, You know, she would find, you know, all the weird things that you find in pockets, like, you know, a cigarette butt. She's like, one of my kids is smoking. Like, just that kind of like storytelling from the perspective of being a housewife and a mother. Um, So it's just really fun to go back and look at this work. And I really, like, I appreciate it uh, quite a bit. Um, And I'd love to share some pictures because it's just funky. Okay. Share. Does she have any other online presence? Like, is there anywhere else that we can go to see? No. Okay. All right. Well, then you have, it's up to you. It is. Yes. It's like, she was just very, like, I want to say just like very strong, like her creativity really came from a place within herself that like she needed to be making this stuff. Like she wasn't really, like I said, she didn't have like the support, the appreciation, the admiration. And like, 
Uh, I, I called my aunt this morning and was talking to her about it. And she said she would have, she had a few like solo art shows and she like one weird one, she wanted to make it look like it was a group show. So all of the work in it is very different. And she would go to these art shows dressed really like, really like straight, like, you know, suits, you know, just like clothing of the time. Meanwhile, like the art is so funky. No one knew who the artist was. So she got to be kind of like incognito in these art spaces, like hearing what people had to say about her weird and funky stuff that she was creating. So I just a lot of fun. That is really fun. I love when people put like a little bit of a sense of humor into their work and have yeah, like a, you no. know, bigger. I love that. And her work looks very simple, but like when you hear the thought and the meaning behind what she was creating, it like is stuff that is like so impactful and thoughtful. And it's just like so much more than you would have realized than from just looking at it. Oh, I appreciate her so much too. Now, thank you for sharing her with us. Definitely. And then I have, um, I guess I, I didn't even realize this necessarily, but I come from a family of artists. My, um, my aunt Sean Ehlers is a uh, photographer and she does a lot of like mixed media work with encaustic wax and her photography. Um, and then my other aunt, Leslie Ehlers, is a graphic designer and she does a lot of, um, is a graphic designer and separately does a lot of like abstract watercolor that's inspired by nature. And she does a lot of like encaustic wax with her medium as well. Is there a place where we can see their art? Yes, they both have websites. Um, okay. I will have to send you those afterwards. Okay. Ailers.com and SeanAilers.com if I had to guess, but we'll, we'll make sure we'll find them and we'll link them. And then the final question is what are your five to 10 year goals? Let me flip around to my piece of paper that I'm probably not even going to look at. Um, what are my five to 10 year goals? So I think I mentioned it earlier, but I did my year one test to see if I felt like I could do this full-time. I'm coming up on year two of doing this as my full-time job. And I kind of feel like I'm on the brink of figuring out what's next for me. I have a lot of different like ideas and thoughts that are kind of bouncing around and I don't have anything like concrete in terms of like next steps. This is what I want to do. I mentioned I have my like fleshed out podcast idea. Um, I want to do more work with brands, which is something I talked about earlier. Um, I want to organize my business and be more like more sustainable in terms of like what I can manage um, and just be like more intentional and more organized with um, what I'm doing. Um, as an artist, I want to keep developing my skills. I want to expand like the scope and scale of my work, both, you know, in terms of the kinds of skills that I have in my wheelhouse. I recently added a kiln to my studio and I haven't had a chance to play with it yet, but I'm really excited. Um, I got into metal clay sculpting, which I'm really excited to figure out how I can incorporate that into my stained glass work. Um, I also want to have more opportunities to do larger scale projects. Um, I think something that I struggle with a little bit is balancing the business with creative side. And I think it's hard when you're selling your work um, where you kind of inherently have these business limitations, or I should say, I put these business limitations on my creative process where it's like pieces need to be a certain size for a certain budget, or I need to simplify this concept to fit these criteria. Um, and I think I, I would like to spend some more time focusing on 
how to get a better balance with that and to stop having to limit myself uh, creatively, if that makes sense. Um, and then definitely more opportunities to do bigger projects. Um, you mentioned my Florida Natives panel earlier, and like that was something that my Patreon funded, um, which is really cool to not have to worry about, you know, selling the piece at the end of it, like just having the ability to put put aside, you know, time and resources to focus on a bigger piece. Um, and then on the different sector of goals, community around art is something that's really important to me. Um, and if one of the reasons I love your podcast so much is like, we're all in our little studios working by ourselves. And I think it's so important to have things that, you know, connect us both professionally and socially. You know, it's so nice to have uh, contact with other people who are doing what you're doing and love to do, you know, the same things as you. Um, and to bounce ideas off of and share stuff with. So I really want to figure out a way to have more of a local community. Um, I have my Patreon meetings once a month, my little video chat groups. Um, and I love that. I want to expand on that online. And then I also want to expand on that and figure out a way to bring that kind of in person. Um, it hasn't happened for me too often, but the times that I have been able to work in a studio at the same time as someone else, like whether we're working on the same project or not, but just to like be in a space where other people are also working, I think is so nice. I'd really love to have a community community workspace for stained glass. Um, I think that would be a, a really great resource for us. Um, I think my most tangible goal is to get a house because I think that solves some of my other goal problems. Um, <laughs> you know, both in terms of like storage, being able to organize my projects better, having a better space to maybe be able to work with other people. I mean, recording space for a podcast that's quiet. Erin, I think these are all goals, you know, in as maybe not the podcast one, but at least the, the ones at the front of all this, I think we can all relate to and understand in terms of just growing as an artist, um, increasing our skill level and our skill set, you know, how many tools we have in our in our toolbox. I love that you are so passionate about not only sharing your gorgeous glasswork with the world, but you're also so, you're so invested in sharing your business savviness with the world. And I feel like you are really on the cusp of just taking off, you know, with all of it. And I just, I can't wait to see all of the new and exciting ways you find to connect our community. And I can't wait to listen to your podcast, which now has to happen because you said it publicly here today. This is this is the an announcement. <laughs> right now. This is <laughs> this is it. <laughs> this is it. It's happening. I know I said it already, but anyway, that I can be of assistance or, you know, use this platform of cracked to to help bolster yours. I'm I'm hearing it with you. Well, thank you so much. That all, that means a lot to me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, have a wonderful and productive day in the studio today. And I will talk to you very soon. Thank you. You too. Bye. Bye. To see more of Erin's work, her Instagram is at Erin Glassworks. That's E-R-I-N 
G-L-A-S-S-W-O-R-K-S, and mine is at Bruna Glassworks. For all the Patreon page members, Erin is gifting her guide to social media, and for one lucky member, we're going to do a drawing for a set of layout frames. The winner chooses which shapes. That'll happen on Instagram 12 days after the release of this episode, which is July 30th, 2023. Next week, I'm talking to the New Orleans mystery man behind Booty Glass Girls, Kyle Hubbs. We're going to discuss the women who inspire his work, the local music scene that he credits, and what's next for the growth of his business, including voice-activated light boxes. Wait, what? You'll have to listen to find out what he means. Until next week, thank you so much for listening. Bye.